Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 28-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, which is a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschooling moms. If you haven't checked out those books, please do that by going to DorendaWilson.com, or you can find them on Amazon, and you can find The Four-Hour School Day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I just mentioned. I also want to let you know that you can now receive a free digital download of my devotional, Encouraging a Homeschool Heart, by subscribing to my monthly newsletter. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can just click right over and subscribe. I'd love to have you there. Also, you all know that I'm in the middle of my uh, speaking season for homeschool conferences and mom events, and I've got half a dozen places that I'm going to be speaking yet in 2023. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can check out where I'll be. And hopefully you and I can meet in person. I know you've heard me talk about CTC Math for some time now, but have you tried it out yet? CTC Math provides online video tutorials that make learning math easy and effective. This online math program uses creative graphics and animation that are sure to grab and keep your child's attention. Start your free trial today by visiting ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. And I will leave a link in the show notes for that as well. I've been getting great feedback from moms who are absolutely loving this math program. So I hope you'll go check it out. Now, I recently watched an interview on Instagram uh, from a while back. Uh, Some of you have seen this video of Jen Wilkin, who is a fairly well-respected Bible women's teacher or women's Bible teacher. Uh, She was defending an essentially uh, what I would call a Marxist ideology using a scripture out of context. Her argument was that we as parents should, if at all possible, have our kids in public school for the quote unquote good of the community. And um, I shared my concerns with her argument on Instagram. And I actually found myself overwhelmed with messages from moms thanking me for putting words to what they knew was flawed in Jen's argument. But in an increasingly secular society, those who have a biblical worldview are now a shrinking minority. As mainstream culture grows more hostile towards the Bible's truths and those who embrace them, Christians will face mounting pressures from family, friends, media, academia, and government to change and even abandon their beliefs. Um, But these challenges also create abundant opportunities to stand strong for Christ and shine light to those hurt by the darkness of our day. Um, I'm excited. Um, Today's guest is here to share with us some of the issues that she covers in her book, Faithfully Different. Natasha Crane is a speaker, author, blogger, and podcaster whose passion is to help Christians think more clearly about holding to a biblical worldview in the midst of an increasingly challenging secular culture. A marketing executive and adjunct marketing professor before she transitioned to full-time ministry of writing and speaking, Natasha holds an MBA in marketing and statistics from UCLA, a BA in economics from USC, and a certificate in Christian apologetics from Biola University. She and her husband have been married 22 years and have three kids, a son and daughter who are 13, um, they're twins, and a daughter who is 11. They homeschool and live in Southern California. Natasha, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you today. 
I am so excited you're here. Um, Moms, I was telling Natasha earlier, my daughter-in-law is a huge fan of Natasha's and she was so excited that she's joining us here today. Um, She's got a lot of wisdom to share and I'm just excited to dive in and um, have you answer some questions that I think are really pertinent and uh, really actually rolling around in the minds of moms and they may not even realize it. Um, So let's start with this one. Um, What risk does cancel culture pose to to today's believers and how should Christians respond? Um, We're all feeling this pressure. We've been feeling it for a while. Um, Debate and, um, you know, just a civil conversation back and forth doesn't even seem possible anymore. So what do we do with that? Well, it's hard to know what to do with that because uh, it's it's a very difficult problem in culture for us to navigate. And so for anyone who maybe isn't familiar with that term, cancel culture, that refers to the idea that if you kind of make a misstep, if you do something that goes against what is overwhelmingly accepted in culture as the right thing to do or the right thing to say, then they will make sure that you no longer have a platform with which mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And so it's that's what we call canceling, that if you are a celebrity, for example, we're going to make sure that no one will support any of the projects that you're on or that you can work anymore. So the the challenge is, is that Christians are overwhelmingly seeing this happen to them in their personal lives. So cancel culture, even though usually when you hear that, you think about people with big platforms and celebrities and such, that same mentality flows down into people's personal lives. And so I hear from people all the time who have been canceled by a sibling, who have been canceled by their own grown kids, who are canceled by their aunts or uncles or nephews. People are getting canceled by family and friends because they don't hold the so-called right views on things. So you don't have to do anything even in order to be canceled today. And that's what's so hard because Christians, people see us as those who hold harmful beliefs. When we hold to biblical views of marriage and sexuality, for example, and this is such a hot button topic in culture, that's not considered to just be wrong, that is considered to be something evil and toxic and harmful. Mm -hmm. And so that is the switch that's happened in culture that a lot of us are being blindsided by because now you can't have that conversation, like you're saying, where you go back and forth and discuss something because that would assume that the person you're talking with is just wrong and you think that you're right and you're going to have this conversation. But when the other side thinks that you're actually evil and that you're harmful with the things that you believe, they're not going to have a conversation with you. It gives them what they believe to be the moral high ground, and then they're going to cut you off. So the challenge for Christians is to understand that just because someone cuts you off for your beliefs, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. Mm. We are going to be persecuted in all kinds of ways for our beliefs. And unfortunately, that is a type of persecution that I think that we see in our society today is that you will be unfriended, you will be taken out of family, and that's just because of what you believe. Mm-hmm. So cancel culture is a difficult thing for us to deal with, but but we have to remain strong. We have to be convicted in our beliefs and we have to remain firm knowing that what we believe is God's truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. We saw this just happen with Tucker Carlson um, Mm -hmm. being fired. And it's just so, so interesting. I would love to know like the backstory to that because the guy was like really popular. I mean, that's why a lot of people watch Fox News is because they liked watching him. So it seems odd to me that they would dump someone who was that that popular. So there's a whole there's a whole other something going on there and I think it has a lot to what with to do with what you're talking about here. Um, but I think that one of the things that's been confusing for people and and I think hurtful is that 
we a lot of Americans believe Christians are a majority group in America. And so they're not understanding why are we experiencing this, this cancel culture. Um, can you explain the research that led you to realize that this is actually not the case? Yeah, so this can be confusing because like you said, we kind of think of ourselves as a Christian country in some sense. And so the the data, the statistics of research can be really helpful in understanding what's going on. So just to give a couple of numbers, and I love data and statistics, so I will try to not go too deep into this. But let me <laughs> give you nerd just, out on us. I am such a numbers nerd, but I think these numbers are so important that we mm-hmm. have to talk about them. So if you just go out and do a survey of the American landscape and you want to determine what percent of people identify as Christian, you will find, and this is what the Pew Research Forum, which is very well known for doing this kind of research, you will find that about 65% of people check the box of Christian. So Mm -hmm. they don't say Mormon, they don't say atheist, they don't say agnostic, they don't say Muslim, they'll just check the box that says Christian. Okay, so that's 65%. When you hear that number, it makes you think, huh, well, that doesn't really sound like the culture I'm experiencing. I don't feel like nearly two out of three people around me are committed Christ followers. So there's a good reason for that. And that's that when people say, yeah, I'm a Christian, they can mean anything by that. That's just how they Mm self-identify. It's the label that they give to themselves, but we have no idea what they mean by that. People can mean all kinds of things. So it doesn't tell us what people actually believe and it's beliefs that drive what we see in culture and everything Mm -hmm. around us. So what we really want to know is what do people believe? So for that, we have to look at some other research and this comes especially out of Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center, which is led by Dr. George Barna. A lot of people know him. He's been doing old research for 40 some years, I believe. And what they do is they've started this annual worldview inventory. And basically, instead of asking people, hey, what are you? How do you identify yourself? They give people over 50 questions about beliefs and behaviors. And then based on the responses to those questions, the researchers themselves look at those responses to say, okay, these people have what we would consider to be a biblical worldview. In other words, their beliefs and behaviors predominantly line up with what the Bible teaches. And when you do that, based on actual data of what people say they believe and what they do in their lives, what you find is that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Wow. So this, and that's down from 6% in 2020. This was the 4% number actually is very recent. They just came out with an update to it maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. So this this tells a huge story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got 65% of people who at least think they're a Christian in some sense. And we've got 4% of people who actually hold beliefs and have behaviors that line up with what the Bible teaches. So it should be no surprise when we look around and we say, you know, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of committed Christians today. (laughs) Well, it's not surprising when you know the data and Mm -hmm. that has so many implications. They've even found that within churches, within evangelical churches, that only about 21% of people have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. So even within your local church environment, when you go and you sit there and look around, you can know that about eight out of 10 people around you do not have a biblical worldview. Mm. It's it is it should be eye opening to us because anytime you hear the word Christian, and this is what I always share with my kids and kind of preparing them for today's world. Yes, we are a very small worldview minority, but also that should make you have your ears pop up when somebody says Christian, whether it's Christian music or it is a Christian quote unquote website or it's a, a Christian news, whatever it is. If it has the word Christian on it, you don't know exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. Even a church, you mm-hmm. don't know exactly what that means. You have to look at the statement of faith. You have to 
to visit, we have to be very aware, basically, because Mm -hmm. of the data. So the data should inform us of how we need to kind of look around at culture, knowing that there's a huge gap there. Mm. I think this uh, is really good for us to know because I think it will shift our perspective, um, which also shifts and changes our expectations. Um, I think that you know, for those of us who have been canceled, it's been particularly hurtful because we're thinking to ourselves, people don't act like this. You know, most people hold, you know, at least a moral framework or, but we found out so differently at, in the, over the last few years, especially it's been just really eye opening. And so, you know, the fact that only 4%, that, that still sounds way less than I would have expected. And that's just amazing to me. It's so great they're doing that research though, because again, that helps us orient ourselves. You know, this is something um, I talked about. We, I had our, one of our elders on for three three episodes and he was talking about how, you know, understanding where we are in the times um, and also understanding, you know, biblical truth and putting those together, it helps us orient ourselves in terms of um, how do we respond to these things? You know, he was, he was specifically saying like, when we look at scripture and we, and we look at examples and stories um, that are in history, because people say, oh, well, history isn't really helpful or that old Bible story, you know, isn't really helpful for now, but it is because it, it helps orient us as we look at, um, where those people were in that particular scenario, what was going on. If we really dig deep and do an actual study of, you know, say a, a New Testament uh, book of the Bible, we're going to look at that and we're going to say, oh, where were they? What were the things they were dealing with? And and what is God saying to them in the midst of us? And then from there, we can pull out what principles we can apply in orienting ourselves in our own culture, because we're seeing, at least I'm seeing as I'm reading the New Testament, I've been able to relate more and more and more to what I'm reading in there. And when it talks about, you know, persecution and things, just, just the different, um, oh, just the opposition that they faced and it's becoming a lot more real. Um, And I, I find it interesting because it seems as though so many Christians, even solid Christians have fallen into a secular worldview. Um, but, and so I'm wondering why is the secular worldview so compelling to people, including many Christians? Yeah. I mean, we, we absolutely see that, which is why we see that 65% of people still claim to be a Christian, but so few people believe what the Bible teaches. Clearly secularism has had an enormous impact on Christians and what they believe. You know, I, I, I have never seen this broken down in the data, but I'm sure that a somewhat a sizable portion of the people in the gap there know that they don't believe things that line up with what the Bible teaches. They're, you know, consciously rejecting it, which is a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. then there are plenty of people in there who really don't even know that they don't have a biblical mm-hmm. worldview because they've been so influenced by culture. So we have to say, well, what is it about secularism, this worldview that surrounds us, that's actually so compelling that is pulling Christians away, even if they don't realize it? And to answer that question, we have to understand what secularism is as a worldview. Really at the heart of it, and, and I make a whole case for this in the book, but I'll just give you the kind of the bottom line of it. At the heart of it, secularism is a worldview based on the authority of the self. 
So as Christians with a biblical worldview, we should be looking to God outside of ourselves as the creator and sustainer of the universe who is the authority over all things. He has the authority to tell us what's true about reality, what's good and bad and right and wrong and harmful, helpful, all those things. So our authority is outside of ourselves. Even if we don't feel like we like something the Bible says, we're going to go with what God says because we believe that that is true. Well, a secular worldview, even if someone might take bits and pieces of things that are actually found in the Bible, even if they say, well, I believe that we were created by God and I believe God loves me and we should love others. Even if they're taking bits and pieces, ultimately they're turning to the self as their authority for determining what's true about reality. So this is a hugely important filter, I think, for people to understand, because once you start to see that you either have a biblical worldview based on the authority of God and his revealed word, or you're looking to yourself, everything Mm -hmm. starts to make a lot more sense. The Bible tells us that all of us, by our very human nature, want to go our own way. We all want to go to the authority of the self. We all seek that. And even as Christians, even once we're saved, even once we're following the Lord, we still sometimes struggle with wanting to go our own way. And so it's, it's important to understand, not only are we surrounded by a culture that rejects the authority of God, but we actually, by our human nature, are kind of attracted to wanting to go the same way culture is. So that puts us in a really serious situation. The majority of people believe something different than what we do, and they believe something that the Bible tells us we're actually attracted to. That should make us really take a pause and think, okay, well, how is that affecting me? Because we've got to be on our toes when that's Mm -hmm. the case to be able to consistently reject that and draw clear lines between a biblical view and a secular one. Yeah. And, you know, I I talk to moms all the time and, you know, about just our own personal theology, like we live our theology out of our fingertips. So I'm always saying this starts within the four walls of our homes. You know, what we believe about God it comes out in in motherhood, you know, and and I know for me, it's been really, really humbling, you know, just how much I don't trust the Lord, you know, or how much I think I believe this, but what I'm actually saying with my actions is something else. And so one thing I love about, about motherhood and, and, and then of course, homeschooling, which adds a whole other layer, um, is, is, it's just so sanctifying. It's such a, a place of really seeing like, what do I really believe? And if I'm not living what I say, I believe, how can I start doing that at home within the four walls of my home, because this is what we're modeling to our kids. We want our kids to see consistency in what we say we believe and what we actually do. And, uh, and I think this is, um, another really good reason to, to take a pause and, you know, maybe look at how has secularism affected us personally, um, and affected our daily life and how we're living our life with our kids. Okay. So there are some significant secular pressures um, that are influencing the faith of Christians. But um, can you can you tell us like some of the most significant pressures? Because I think, again, in order to orient ourselves, it's good for us to be able to identify those. Yeah, absolutely. So I, what I identify are basically four tenets of secularism, of the secular worldview that's based on the authority of the self. And the, the first one is that feelings are the ultimate guide toward truth if you're in a secular worldview. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second one is that happiness is going to be your ultimate goal. 
The third is that judging is considered to be this ultimate sin because who is someone else to tell me anything when the authority is me? And the last one is that God is just a guess. He's the ultimate guess. No one can know with any kind of certainty who God is or if he's there. Those are kind of the tenets of a secular worldview. And I think that you see these things play out all the time in popular culture. And it makes a really good filter to share with your kids. I, like you said in my my intro at the beginning, I homeschool my kids and this is a filter that I give them. And we talk about it and they spot these things when you know they hear things on podcasts or they see things on the news. They'll say, oh, look, there's an example of happiness is the ultimate goal. And oh, mm-hmm. you know, here, feelings are the ultimate guide. I mean, we see it every day. You can't go into a local store without seeing a mug that says, follow your heart. Well, mm-hmm. that's not just an innocent little statement. That is a big worldview you claim that if you follow your heart, that that's the right thing to do because feelings are your guide. The authority is you. That's a big worldview statement, but we just have to learn how to think about that. So those same ideas, I think, are the ones that really filter into what Christians believe because we don't even recognize that they're in conflict with a biblical worldview. You know, if an atheist comes to you and says there is no God, everyone gets, okay, this is a claim that is fundamentally opposed to what Christianity says. Of course, we believe there's a God. But the challenges of secularism and all the kinds of statements that seep into our thinking based on the authority of the self, they're not so obvious. And so for both our own purposes and those of our kids, as we're raising them to recognize this, I think that when you start to filter it through that lens of feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal, judging is the sin, and God is a guest, those are all secular statements that a lot of Christians are getting sucked into in one way or another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I especially hear Christians kind of buy the the lie that, oh, judging is bad. You know, we don't want to judge. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of being judgmental. And sometimes Christians think that that's what Jesus teaches because Matthew 7, 1 says, Jesus says, uh, judge not or you too will be judged. And so Christians kind of hear that and they think, oh, well, we're not supposed to judge. But that's not the case. If you go on to read that passage in Matthew, what Jesus is teaching is that we should not judge hypocritically. He says to take the log out of your eye so mm-hmm. that you can see clearly to take what's in your neighbor's eye. So it doesn't say just take a log out of your eye. You want to help your neighbor. We have to judge with right judgment. Mm. So I see that a lot. The Christians are afraid to call out things that are morally wrong because they say, well, I don't want to judge. And at the end of the day, God's already done the judging. He's already said what's right or wrong. He is the standard and he's told us what's right or wrong in the Bible. So if you're sharing that, then you're just the messenger. You're not claiming to be the judge. We're not the moral Mm. authority. God is. We're just sharing what he has already said. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. So in the book, you contrast progressive Christianity with the historic Christian faith and conclude that progressive Christianity is ultimately a secular pressure coming from within the church. Um, Can you explain what progressive Christianity is and how you came to that conclusion? Because I know we're pretty much all familiar with the term, but I love, again, having clarity on that. Yeah, if, if you, you know, if you talk to 100 people who identify as a progressive Christian, you would probably get 100 different definitions of it. But I think practically speaking, how I would define it is that it's someone who would identify as a Christian in some sense, but they don't accept the Bible to be the authoritative word of God. So that's the key distinguishing factor between someone who would hold to the historic Christian faith as the faith has always been taught and passed down versus someone who would be considered a progressive Christian today. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what happens if you are a Christian, at least you identify as a Christian, but you don't accept the Bible to be God's authoritative word? What does that mean? Well, what that looks like is that you're now the authority. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe in God, if you follow Jesus, if you think Jesus is the son of God, it really doesn't even matter which beliefs you pick. You're still picking and choosing things from the Bible, which puts you in the place of God. You're in the place of now being the authority of saying, well, here's what I think is true from the Bible. Here's what I don't think is true. So that should sound familiar based on what we were talking about earlier. That's ultimately just a secular worldview. It's an authority of the self versus the authority of God. So yes, progressive Christians have more beliefs than maybe you know someone who's an atheist in culture uh, who goes to the authority of the self. They're gonna have more beliefs that come from the Bible. They're gonna believe in God. They're gonna believe something about Jesus. But at the end of the day, they're looking to themselves as the ultimate authority. So mm-hmm. it is a secularized version of Christianity from within the church. Okay. And that that leads to the next question. I've heard people talking about deconstructing their faith. And, you know, I'm not sure they're all meaning the same thing, but I, I would really love for you to define what is deconstruction and why you think it's so appealing and why is it so dangerous? You're right. A lot of people would define this different ways. And just like with progressive Christianity, you can get a lot of different responses on this. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just give this as the the caveat. Sometimes what a person means by deconstruction is simply that they're not sure that what they believe really lines up with what the Bible says, that maybe they've learned things over time, or maybe they were involved in a church that was teaching things that they're starting to question the truth of. And so they're just kind of reevaluating what they believe and going back to the Bible. Okay, if that's what they mean by deconstruction, there's no problem with that. We should always want to make sure that our beliefs line up with what the Bible teaches. But the vast majority of the time, if you hear the word deconstruction, you can always ask someone, what do you mean by that? Before you have the conversation, of course. But the vast majority of the time, someone means that they're walking away from the authority of the Bible and they're kind of getting rid of any beliefs that they now believe based on the own their own authority of the self to be harmful or toxic in some way. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of finding their own religion, if you will. And it starts with maybe they were a, a conservative, uh, the, theologically speaking, Christian, but now they're going to put aside the authority of God's word and they're just going to pick the parts that they think are healthy. And so you get a, basically any kind of beliefs uh, might come out of that. You might go very, very, very far away from a historic Christian faith. You might go a little less far away. But ultimately, how I phrase this in the book is it's a deconversion from the authority of God to Mm -hmm. the authority of yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's basically another version of progressive Christianity. It's just still in that same, um, they're falling into secularism, which is again, we're we're God and we're going to decide what's right Right. and wrong rather than than scripture. You know, when you keep going- It's sort of a label for that process Mm -hmm. in which someone goes from being someone who does follow the word of God to someone who doesn't. They deconstruct often into something that you would probably label progressive Christianity, though some people go even further than that and would not even consider themselves a Christian anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, and so you can go even further. But right. yes, that in general, it often ends up in a progressive Christian place. Okay. Okay. So I think we all have kind of seen secular culture becoming incredibly mainstream in a very short period of time. Um, can you share with us what you think has led to that? 
Well, I think that this is a, a tricky one because if you read history, and I'm teaching my eighth grade twins history, U.S. history right now, so it's even more eye-opening to revisit this in, in my most recent few, last few days. But if you look at history, you know, it's not that we have a whole history of Americans always being committed Christians. I mean, when you start in the late 1800s, you start to see how all the nuts and bolts are really breaking loose on a lot of the doctrinal truths and the acceptance of certain key doctrines that the Bible teaches. So it's not that all of this is falling apart right now. But over the last hundred years, as people are slowly discarding doctrinal tenets of Christianity, they did tend to hold on to values that were at least consistent with Christianity. Right, right. So they were holding on to the value of the family, for example. Regardless of what they believed about Jesus, most people still valued the family. And most people valued the sanctity of life, for example. And so you had some key values that people held on to. There's been a long hangover of values being in, in people's minds uh, compared to the doctrines themselves. So I think what we're seeing lately is not really a change so much in what people believe about the Bible. There's certainly plenty of that, but I think people let go of that overwhelmingly in culture a long time ago. What we're seeing today is that they're now finally letting go of the long hangover of values. Mm -hmm. And so that is what suddenly becomes very striking and shocking to us because we were kind of lulled into this thinking, I think, in the last few decades of, oh, well, there's still like a lot of Christians because, you know, people in culture still kind of believe the same things, it seemed, but now they're casting that off as well. And so now there are so few commonalities between Christians with a biblical worldview and the rest of culture that we have a very striking and jarring contrast. And, and so I think that that is really, and there are a lot of reasons why that was precipitated in the last 10 years or so, but I think we especially see that now. So it's the striking loss of values that were consistent with Christianity, but the doctrinal tenets were thrown off overall many right. years ago. Right, right. Yes. So do you see America turning back to more traditional values? I know that people hope for that and other people just think it can't happen. What What are your thoughts on that? I, I really don't know. Um, obviously, I don't know, but I know that in the end, God wins. God has mm -hmm. a plan for all mm -hmm. things. And so mm -hmm. we can clearly feel down about the direction of our culture. But what we're called to do in the light of the fact that God has already won is to be salt and light in the culture that we're in. Whatever mm -hmm. part of the battle that is, I don't think that we can really know, but we are called to stand up for truth, to not worry about being canceled when we are canceled, to know that we were canceled for standing up for truth and that that was what we were supposed to do. So we have to stand firm in the midst of this darkness, knowing that this is what we're called for. We are made for this moment. I, yeah, the Lord keeps bringing me back to that verse that says, fear of man is a snare, um, uh, but those in, who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. And it doesn't always feel safe to speak the mm -hmm. truth in our sphere of influence or to live the truth in our sphere of influence. And yet God is telling us the opposite. Like we don't need to be afraid. Um, it would be, it would be far more harmful to us to fear man than it is for us to trust God. And yes. so I think that's something we have to, to bear in mind. And I think just having the scriptures in the forefront of our mind, um, Every day, all day, is 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 such an important part. It needs to be part of our practice every day. And 
I think that that can be a struggle for moms, but I also know from my own experience, um, having, you know, eight kids in 13 years that God is very, he's a gentle shepherd and he would bring me, you know, maybe I'd read a few verses and one would stand out and I would write it down on an index card and put it where I would see it throughout the day. And often whatever that topic was, was something that I would struggle with during the day and I'd have that scripture ready. So it doesn't have to be, um, quantity, you know, um, God understands what season we're in, but just stay in the word. Even the little bits are still keeping us, you know, thinking about uh, what is pure and lovely and of good report and what's true because there is so much falsehood around us. So could you just share, um, just in closing a key takeaway that you hope that your readers get out of your book, Faithfully Different? I really just hope that they come away with some strong clarity about the difference between a biblical worldview and a secular one and how that's rooted in who your authority is. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people will just continually ask themselves, am I looking to the authority of God on this through his revealed word? Or am I going with my feelings as the guide? Mm -hmm. Am I looking for happiness as my goal? Am I thinking judging as a sin? Am I treating God like he's just a guest? Those four tenets that we talked about. I hope that people will take that away so that they always have this filter through which they can see the rest of the world and draw those clearer boundaries so that they can stay faithful to the Lord. Mm, I love that. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and include ways that moms can connect with you and where they can get your book. We'll put those in the show notes. Um, If you want to just tell them real quickly in case they're just listening and they want to go right there, can you let them know how they can connect with you and where they can find the book? Yeah, my website is Natasha Crane, and my last name is C-R-A-I-N, not like the bird, <laughs> uh, .com. And I blog there. I have two podcasts, actually, and you can find out all about my books at that place so, as well. Okay, great. Would you mind closing in a word of prayer? Absolutely. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for all of those who are listening right now. Thank you that they are taking the time to think about these important topics of how we can be more faithful to you in the midst of this very secular culture. I pray that everyone listening would be convicted to think of just one thing that they can take away from this, that they can put into practice to be more mindful of these things. And I just pray over all of them who are raising kids and wanting to both protect them, but also So help them to know how to navigate this culture that they're in. I just pray for your guidance in their lives, that they would continually look to you and that they would stay faithful to reading your word so that they know what is true, ultimate truth, not relying on their own feelings, not relying on happiness being a goal, but knowing that you are the ultimate joy in our lives, that you are you are the goal to know and love you lord thank you for all that you're doing in the lives of all who are listening pray these things in your name amen amen And moms, before you leave, I just want to let you know about one more resource that I want to share with you. Um, Maybe you're uh, homeschooling, but worried about your child's socialization. Classical Conversations believes education is best experienced together. That's why Classical Conversations provides homeschool families with local communities for opportunities 
uh, for socialization, support, and encouragement. In community, a trained licensed director guides both students and parents alike through a proven Christ-centered curriculum rooted in the classical model. To find a Classical Conversations community near you, visit classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda. That's classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda, and I will leave a link in the show notes. Have a great day. Thank you.